This is that strangest of days where we do uh, focus our attention again on the fact that God himself came to this earth and bore our sins, that he was mocked, he was denied by his closest of friends, he was beaten, and he was nailed to a cross where his life was taken from him as he offered it as a sacrifice. And yet while we turn our attention there, we're going to do so uh, continuing the same sermon series that we've been doing throughout this season of Lent by looking at these Old Testament feasts and festivals that God, that Jesus fulfilled when he offered that sacrifice. As I mentioned this past Sunday morning, when you look through the feasts and festivals in Leviticus 23, we jumped from trumpets to tabernacles, but in between there is the Day of Atonement. And it's that feast that we will be looking at today that can be found in Leviticus 23, Verses 26 through 32, the words will be on the screen behind me. There's a uh, printout in your orders of service that have them printed there. Or you may look them up in your pew Bibles on page 120. Again, from Leviticus chapter 23, verses 26 through 32. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now on the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. And you shall afflict yourselves on the ninth day of the month beginning at evening From evening to evening shall you keep your Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm pretty sure that almost every one of us sitting here can think of those moments where immediately after something happening or doing something, you are filled with regret. And you wish to the deepest heart of your core that you could just go back and fix what happened. But you can't. It happens when you injure yourself. Where right away you think, oh, if I would have just paid a little bit more attention. If I had just been a little bit more careful. If I had just noticed that thing a moment ago. But because you didn't. Now there's a call to the ambulance, a a trip to the hospital, and maybe several weeks worth of recovery ahead of you. It happens when you're driving. And again, immediately you think, oh, if I would have just left a moment earlier or a moment later, if I just paid attention to that little detail, then I wouldn't have had this incident. 
But because you didn't, now there's damage that has to be paid. And there's loss of time and access to vehicles. And of course, it can happen with people. Where again, right away you think, if I would have just kept my mouth shut. If I would have paid just a little bit more attention to what was going on in their life, rather than just thinking about myself, then I wouldn't have said those words. But because I didn't, the words came out. And now those words have done the damage that I cannot take away, I cannot remove, and what I have said has irreversibly affected this relationship. And that's the whole point. While in those moments, whether ones that I described or other ones that you can think of, we might immediately regret, the issue is it doesn't matter. The act has been performed. The injury has occurred, the words have been said, and now there is nothing that you can do to undo what has been done. There are some things you can't fix. And because of that, many can continue to live with regrets, with guilt, and the shame of their past mistakes. So how do we address that? Well, right away, as we get into this portion of Leviticus 23, I have to make my usual confession of the struggle that I had with how to present the Day of Atonement. And that is always is time. Uh, What we read in Leviticus 23, that portion of it, really does not say very much about what the Day of Atonement is or, or its background or the practices involved in it. All it basically says is you need to celebrate it. And while you celebrate it, you need to afflict yourself, which by the way, just means that you need to, it's usually understood as fasting, come with a, a day of having fasted in the presence of God. Uh, the people need to uh, observe it. Uh, They need to not work on this celebrated day. And the seriousness of the day is demonstrated by the fact that if anyone does not observe the day by working, that they will be cut off from the community. And it's uh, a serious consequences to that. But because of that lack of detail, what I really wanted to do to go through everything was really look back at Leviticus 16, that chapter, a few chapters earlier, that outlines all of the practices of the Day of Atonement. However, because of time, it's a rather long chapter that I didn't want to read all the way through this evening. Just let me say an encouragement that if you ever want to read through or if you wanted to open up right now as I kind of give a summary of what that text, Leviticus 16, sort of outlines and says. Because in essence, that really is my text for this evening. But if and when you look at Leviticus 16, a chapter that is exclusively about the Day of Atonement, you'll notice that it starts in verse 1 with uh, this kind of odd setting. And the setting is uh, in verses 1 and 2 where it says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark. 
so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. So again, in the introduction to this Feast of the Day of Atonement, what we have is this introduction to the problem. And the problem is that on one day, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, decided to offer an unauthorized fire before the Lord, as described in Leviticus 10, where this story is told. Likely what they did is they walked into the Holy of Holies. That place where the Ark of the Covenant, that symbol of God's presence had been put in the center of the tabernacle at that time or or later in the temple. And when they strolled into the Holy of Holies, not having prepared themselves, the immediate consequences of that move was for fire to come out from there from the Lord, consuming them and killing them immediately. And that introduction highlights the problem. There is a wall that separates human beings from God. And that wall is our sin. As sinful human beings, we cannot approach God at all. No one can see God and live. And therefore, as Nadab and Abihu learned in the hardest of ways, God cannot be approached at all, let alone flippantly, without great care, they will and did die because they were impure and God is holy. Therefore, if human beings are to approach God or to live in a relationship with him without being killed, then that barrier of sin must be dealt with in some way. And that's the point of the Day of Atonement. Atonement, or to atone, means to cover. It was a way for the sins of the people to be covered by the sacrifices that were offered. Throughout the calendar of all of the feasts and festivals we looked at, this was seen as the most holiest of all of the days. All of these feasts and festivals. If for no other reason, it was the one day out of the year when the high priest would dare to enter in past the veil that marked the Holy of Holies into that space. And because of that, because of the problem that started the introduction to it, the the priest and the work that they had to do to prepare themselves to make sure that they were clean before they entered into that place so that they wouldn't die, a lot of what the Day of Atonement is about focuses on them. It actually started a week before the actual day. The high priest would go into isolation all by themselves. Therefore, they wouldn't ever accidentally do anything that could make them unclean. But just to be case, there was always a a standby priest ready to take their place if, if something happened that made them unclean or that during the exercise of their duties, if they were struck down dead, this standby would, would step in and, and finish the work. So having taken that whole week to prepare themselves on the Day of Atonement, then the priest would wash themselves very carefully. 
And then they would put on a special garment, a garment that was only worn on this particular day for this particular feast and festival. And then there would be the sacrifices. Uh, First of all, as a sacrifice, there was a bull. Uh, This bull was a sacrifice offered for the priest and for their sins. The other sacrifice was two goats. And it was called a sacrifice, even though there were two of them. And these two goats would be as identical as possible. And the priest would then take those two goats and he would cast lots between them. As Leviticus 16 says, as the ESV translates, they would be cast lots, one for the Lord and one for Azazel. And we don't know what Azazel means. It's either a proper name or it can be translated as others have done and do as the scapegoat. And so they would cast these lots and one of these goats would become the scapegoat. And as in the picture, it would be unmarked by tying a a scarlet band around one of their horns. And then the other one, the one that was cast lots for the Lord, would become a sacrifice. Once the designation is made, the sacrifices would start. The priest would take the bull. And he would place his hands on the bull. And then that high priest would confess his sins of the past year onto that bull. In a physical demonstration of a way of kind of transferring the things that he had done wrong over the past year upon this animal. Once that was done, the life of the animal would be taken. And the blood would be collected. And then the priest would go and he would go into the Holy of Holies, bringing with him coal and incense that would fill the room with smoke. And then he would take the blood of the bull, the sacrifice made for himself, and he would sprinkle that blood on the Ark of the Covenant in a very specific way. Once his sin was atoned for, the priest would then go out back in front of the people. And the goat that Lot was chosen for the Lord would also then be killed. Its blood would be collected and then that would be taken again on behalf of the people. And the priest would enter again into the Holy of Holies. And that blood would be sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant in a very particular way. And then the priest would come out again. And on the goat where the lots were chosen as the scapegoat, he would once again place his his hands on that animal and he would confess the sins of the entire community over the last year on that animal. And then once that was done, that scapegoat would be taken by somebody else who had also gone through a process of cleansing and washing and preparation, and that goat would be led out of the community, outside of the whole entire encampment, at least 10 miles, and it would be left and abandoned. While that person was doing that, then the goat and the bull that remained would be killed and, and, and offered, well, I'm not killed, but their, their court carcasses would be taken and they would be part of cleansing the altar where part of those animals would be offered up. And then the rest of those animals that remained would be taken outside of the camp and completely burned up. 
And then the person who had brought the goat away would return and they would go through a process of cleansing. A very detailed, long practice. So why was all of that done? This was the way that in, in, on an annual basis, that barrier of the sin of the people could be covered. It was covered in their actions of remorse and in their afflicting themselves through fasting. It was covered by the cleansing of the priest that representative of the people symbolically and carefully washing themselves of their impurities. It was covered through the sacrifice and through the blood of the animals that was shed. As it says nearby in Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it for you in the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. The blood of these animals was received by God as a substitute for the blood, the life of those that had committed these sins. And in so doing, for another year, the sin of the people was atoned for and their relationship with God could be continued. As it says at the end of Leviticus 16 and verse 30, for on this day shall shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. And again, the point of the ceremony was to suggest that sin had to be addressed. And it was addressed by God accepting these sacrifices and actions as a substitute and the visual reminders that their sins had been removed and taken away from them. And now their relationship with God could be restored. Now in hearing all of that, I hope already we can make the connections to understand how Jesus is the one that fulfills that feast as well. Let's however start again with the problem. You see, as long as people sin, there is always going to be the issue of separation that we have between us and a holy and perfect God. The problem of Nadab and Abihu never goes away. Because of our sins, we have ruined our relationship with God. He is holy. He is to be feared. And we cannot take away the, what we have done. We can't approach God unless our sins are dealt with and we can't do anything to deal with them. And so we're stuck. But that is why Jesus come, came and what he did when he was on this earth. Again, in talking about a struggle for time and in truth, in a lot of ways, the explanation for how Jesus fulfills the day of the atonement takes up huge chunks of the whole book of Hebrews that really lays this all out. But to not read the whole book of Hebrews, let me just summarize some of the points that it makes. First of all, Jesus is the greater and the perfect priest who can make the sacrifice of atonement. 
Again, think of all of the rituals that these other priests, these sinners themselves had to go through and the process that they had to engage in in order to cure them, heal themselves, to to wash themselves, to cleanse themselves, to confess their own sins. Because if they didn't do that first, they were unworthy and their lives would be taken. But that doesn't apply to Jesus. Who was the greater and perfect priest. He had no sins of his own that needed to be atoned for. He had no thing that separated him from God the Father. Because he was God himself. God the Son. And therefore as the greater high priest. He could make the perfect sacrifice. And what was that sacrifice? It was himself. Which is the second way that Jesus fulfills the day of the atonement. He is that perfect sacrifice. Again, in not having any sin of him, his own that made him worthy of earning the consequences of those sins in death. When he offered himself, when his blood was shed upon the cross, when he allowed himself to be nailed. And instead of coming down as he could have as God, he remained up there in love. He did so to be your substitute. And so as much as it disturbs our mind to think about animals being slaughtered and sacrifices and their blood being collected and sprinkled and then butchered in front of everyone. How much more awful is it to think about the life of Jesus, the innocent man being brutalized for our sins. But he was that sacrifice. And his blood was given so that ours wouldn't have to be. And what is more? Well, as it says in Isaiah 53, the words we read in our call to worship. No, I skipped one there. There we are. Well, oh no, I just quote this one. I don't have it on the screen. Isaiah 53 says, As the perfect sacrifice, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The final effect of that being that Jesus also becomes the sacrificial scapegoat. He takes the effect and the penalty of our sins and he completely removes it from us as far as the east is from the west. And that highlights the idea of fulfillment. Because he is the great and better priest. Because he is the perfect sacrifice. Because he is our scapegoat. Jesus has fulfilled the day of atonement. In one commentary I read, it likened it to a credit card. A credit card, think of how we use it. It's just a piece of plastic that has some numbers on it. But when we give it to a store owner, we give it to them saying that this will cover the costs of what it is that we are purchasing. That though we have no money with us now, the credit card company will cover those things. 
until we make the payment to the credit card company for those purchases that have been made. All the way through the Old Testament, these sins were covered, atoned for by the blood of animals. But it was just given on credit. The payment was never fully made. This sacrifice and feast was never fully fulfilled until the perfect sacrifice of Jesus was given. And when it was given, the payment was finally made. And the barrier of sin that separated us from a relationship with God was removed once and for all. How do we know? Because we are told in Mark 15 that when Jesus was on the cross, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. That curtain that the high priest year after year had entered through in fear and trembling of their very life, wondering if they would survive this moment was forever and permanently torn, allowing us access to a relationship with God. And now, instead of continuing to carry our regrets, our guilt, our shame over what we have done in the past but cannot change, now we are told in Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, Since then, we have a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy, And find grace to help us in our time of need. I don't know how to make those words cling to the appreciation of what they really mean. But again, think of the Day of Atonement. That when certain priests, people who we would look at and say, look really good to us who lived very righteous-looking lives in our lives, in our eyes, especially compared to what we know of ourselves, when their lives were snuffed out immediately in their faulty and foolish approach of God. Today we, who this very day have again done things that we know violate God's will for our lives, We're covered. It is finished. The blood has been shed and your sins have been covered over, atoned for. The price has been paid and you are invited to have a relationship with God. Access to him that was unimaginable in the past. And that is what we celebrate and will soon celebrate at this table. But before we do, let's approach our God with a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we know the problem and the problem is us. You, through your word, 
and your spirit have revealed to us what a holy and righteous life looks like. And you have told us that we are called to be perfect as you are perfect. But we are not. And we are sinful and you are holy and that forever has ruined our relationship with you. And we regret it. But we can't fix it. Which is why we stand before you today as those pleading for your mercy through the blood of your son. And praising you. That you, that perfect priest, offered up your life in our place. As we remember that this evening, this Good Friday, I pray that it would impact us anew. That the cleansing we have received would change who we are. And that everything that we are would be given in response to the great gift that you had given to us. That is incomparable, unmeasurable. And only can be appreciated with our words and actions of gratitude. So we offer them to you now and we do so in Jesus' holy name. Amen.